Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. So we're, uh, uh, if you have a Bible, then you can turn to Galatians chapter four. That's where we're um, studying in, uh, in God's word, the book of Galatians. Now we told you before that um, Paul uh, ministered. This is an area in modern day Turkey. It's far away from Jerusalem. Paul went there as a missionary. Um, many churches were started. This isn't just one church. This is a, a region of, of many churches um, that were begun. And Paul taught the Gentiles, these are Gentiles, these are Greek uh, pagans, polytheistic, you know, the Greek gods. Um, they would have had, they would, uh, uh, had many gods, and yet the gospel came there, they embraced Christianity, um, 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 and Paul taught them that if you put your faith in Jesus, you are immediately and fully reconciled to God. Um, and not only that, you are actually children of Abraham. Again, there, there is no biological connection with these folks uh, and Abraham, but you are in the family. You are grafted into the family of Abraham. But behind Paul, when Paul moved on to another area to begin starting churches there, in came these false teachers. They were um, Jewish. They were also um, saying they were followers of Jesus as well. Now, and they came and said, Paul's shorted you guys. Uh, he didn't really give you the, the, the real skinny here. Um, that faith in Jesus isn't enough. You have to obey all the Jewish laws. Essentially, you have to become Jewish to become a follower of Jesus. Jesus was Jewish, it's a Jewish thing, and you've got to uh, be circumcised, etc. So this is just how it's, we understand this. Paul said, faith in Jesus equals reconciliation with God. Okay, You put your faith in the work of Jesus, and you are reconciled with God. Now that reconciliation with God will change your life. It will produce obedience, right? But obedience doesn't get you reconciliation with God. Jesus' obedience gets you reconciliation with God. Got it? The false teacher said, no, faith in Jesus plus your obedience is necessary for reconciliation to God. And that's what Paul's going to respond to. Now that's what he is responding to in the book of um, Galatians. You know, there's a couple very provocative things in these very few verses I'm going to read. And one is this, is that Paul is saying anybody, anybody can be a child of Abraham, a child of God. Anybody, no matter your background, no matter what a mess you've made of your life, no matter horrible things you have done, anybody can be reconciled to God because it doesn't depend on you or your performance, right? Anybody. And then what else he says is maybe even more provocative. He says that very often the most religious people, the most good people, um, very many of them are not reconciled to God. Very many religious people are blinded by their religion and are not reconciled to God at all. Okay, you ready? If you're able, why don't you stand? We'll give our attention um, to this part of God's word, Galatians chapter four, starting in the 19th verse. Paul says, my little children, 
You can see his, his passion for them. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. He says, remember, this is a letter. He's sending a letter to them. I wish I could be present with you now and, and change my tone. <laughs> Paul's been rebuking them. He says, oh, I wish I could be looking at you face to face. Maybe I'd, I would change my tone. But he says, I am perplexed about you. Right? Sounds like a parent talking to a teenager, right? <laughs> I am perplexed uh, about you. Paul says, tell me you who desire to be under the law. He's referring to the false teachers and those they're influencing. Do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. In other words, he's, made, he, he's using as an allegory uh, the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, Ishmael and Isaac, okay? So he says, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women represent two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Now remember, essentially he says, Jerusalem is connected to Hagar and it's connected to the law keepers and the false teachers. See how provocative he is? Jerusalem um, and Mount Sinai. That's Hagar and the false teachers. That's those who are under the law. But the Jerusalem above is free and she is our mother. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers... We are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. This then is a reading of God's holy, infallible, and inspired word. The Father is speaking to his children because he loves us. Uh, amen. You may be seated, please. So Galatians 4 says there's two families. There's two sort of rival um, families. Um, two families, two mothers. Um, and, uh, and Paul's asking, which family are you in? Paul's saying the false teachers are in one family. If you believe in faith in Jesus Christ, you're in the other family. Which family are you in? Not who's your daddy, but in this case, who's your mother? He's asking. Um, listen. The family you're in matters. The family you're in can impact um, your life for the entirety of your life. Some of you had alcoholic parents. Some of you are, uh, came from a, a home where a divorce uh, um, 
separated your parents and brought um, uh, a whole change to your life in childhood, much pain. Some of you might have had an angry or um, a caustic mother. Some of you might have had a father who you might have loved if they got angry every now and then. You would have just liked them to have cared. Maybe they were distant. Uh, We're affected by the families from which we come. It can be very difficult to... um, to move on. I read just this week, uh, uh, a man, Glenn Pearson said, all the men in my family had significant issues. When I was 12, my dad left our family. He withheld both financial and emotional support and he rejected or mocked conventional displays of affection. In Matthew seven, Jesus asked, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? And Glenn says, well, I have someone I can nominate. He said, but my dad wasn't the only disaster in our family. When my grandfather was in his 60s, he decided he had cancer. So one day he jumped in front of a speeding train at a railroad crossing. He was not our family's sole suicide. My brother suffered from schizophrenia and manic depression. After spending most of the last 20 years of his life in and out of mental hospitals, he hanged himself. He went on and on. He says, there wasn't a healthy man anywhere in sight uh, in our family. The family you uh, come from can have a profound effect on you. It matters. Families matter. I remember a counselor telling me about one of his clients. He said, um, this man grew up in a home with a very successful father, a very business father, father who just really didn't have time for him. He was self-absorbed, absorbed. He would have said it was all for his family, but it was uh, really all for him and his career and his success and his prestige. And he said... um, The son just could never get his father's attention, could never get uh, his father to enter into his life or world. And he said, then he made the all-star team. As a little kid, he made the all-star team. And he said, this will get my father's attention. My my father likes success. And uh, so his father came to the all-star game and he said, when he got up to the plate in the all-star game, all his dreams came true because he hit a home run. A couple guys on base, he hits a home run. And uh, he's making way around the bases and inside it's like, this is everything I dreamed it would be. And he rounds third base and you know, uh, most of the fans are behind home plate. And so when he rounds third base, he's now running into where he can see the fans and he's searching for his father. He knew his father was up in the, the top row of the bleachers and he sees his father up there and his father's got his back turned to the field and he's talking on his phone. He had a home run in the All-Star game and his father didn't even see it. Wasn't paying any attention. Everyone was clapping but his father. You see, the family you're in has a profound effect on you. And Paul in Galatians has been very polemical. He says, you know, in verse 19, my little children, I'm in the anguish of childbirth. Um, over you. You just see his tenderness and, and his concern that he get them in the right family. I almost pictured, you know, suppose you were in an orphanage. Suppose they had sort of a, a viewing window and uh, you were watching a scene take place outside that window and they didn't know you were there, but you could see them. And some precious little child was um, going to be adopted and one family vying for this child. You knew them and you knew they were evil. And the other family knew they were wholesome and good and this would be a uh, an environment in which the child would flourish 
I mean, and, and you're sitting there behind this window and, uh, and, and the decider seems to be bringing the child over to the, the family that would harm the child. You're, no, right? No. And then the decider seems to be favoring the family that, that would um, uh, heap love and, and direction and care on this child. And you'd be going, yes, 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 right? That's how it feels to preach every week. That's the challenge of preaching, the, the anguish of preaching, because I'm fighting to get you in the right family. And it's awesome because people walk out of church and, they, and they'll say, you know, God's done this thing in my life. And, and they may say, I've, been to, I've gone to church all my life, but th- this is brand new. I'm in the family, you know. And others will walk by um, unimpacted by the invitation to be in the right Family. So here we have Galatians is this love letter from Paul. He wants you in the family of the free woman. Who's your mother? Is the mother of the slave, mother of the law, mother of uh, of um, uh, of um, being bound, bondage. And there's the mother of the free woman. Paul wants you in the right family. And I'm going to ask this morning: Are you in that family? Right? Because if you're in that family, it has the power to heal the deepest wounds in your life. And none of us are gonna be healed completely, right? Till the new heavens and the new earth. But wow, to experience this family and the love of this family and the grace of this family has power. It has power to heal things that you've given up on ever being healed, ever being made new. You ready? All right. Two points. The first is this. We're just going to talk about the two moms, right? There's two sons. There's two families. There's two mothers, right? Galatians 4 uh, in the outline. Let's see the first point of the sermon. There we go. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born according to the flesh, but his son by the free woman was born as a result of divine Promise. Let's talk about what this means, right? And try to explain it to you. Family number one is the family of the free woman. That's Sarah, right? Verse 31 of chapter four says, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. That's the family that Paul wants you in. That's the family I want you in, the family of the free woman. This family believes that the God of the universe loves you, wants to adopt you, has an inheritance he wants to share with you, There's no pressure on you to gain this or to keep this. God does everything necessary. God opens your eyes, your mind, your heart to see the truth of this. God has taken care of all the obedience um, necessary. Jesus does everything to get you in this family. God helps those who what? Can't help themselves. God helps those who know they're impotent to help themselves. They can't help themselves. They're dependent on his mercy and grace. So if you are in this family, you are in this family by a supernatural means. You're not in this family because of your smarts, your will, your determination, your wisdom. You're in this family by the gracious intervention of God. For by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. For by grace you are saved through faith. Grace is unmerited favor. This is supernatural. If you are a Christian, 
If you are the younger brother of Jesus, if God is your father, God did it. All of it. Got it? That's one family. That's the family of the free woman. Now the other family is the family of the slave woman, Hagar. What the false teachers taught the Galatians was the opposite. God helps those who help themselves. Yes, Jesus lived and he died and he resurrected, but you gotta keep the law. You've got to keep the law of Moses, right? You enter this family by your effort. Yes, it's Jesus, but it's your performance. And the bottom line is, if you don't perform, then you're not in the family, which means it's ultimately your performance, right? Um, You can grow up uh, in church, in very conservative churches that have their Bibles out, everybody carrying them, reading them, where um, they're being taught week in and week out that what's of the essence is their obedience, okay? Um, Somebody um, said to me just this week, I went to a church where they tried to get you saved every week. And then they tried to convince you every week that you weren't saved, that you weren't obeying enough, right? Ultimately, the family of the slave woman says reconciliation is up to you. Now, in other words, there's the law of God and you've got to keep the law of God. Well, the law of God is good. The laws of God are good. The laws of God can be summarized in the Old Testament and the Ten Commandments. Uh, In the New Testament, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, The law of God is good. The law tells us, um, thou shalt uh, do this, thou shalt not do that. It tells us um, of the, the holiness of our God, the purity of our God. Um, it shows us that our God made everything. It has order for everything. He wishes his world to flourish. He's given us direction, right? Gives directions for governance and, um, and the home and the family. There are ways you, um, if you behave and act, then, then it leads to flourishing. And there are ways that if you behave and act, you'll sow destruction in, uh, in culture, in your family, and other things, Right? The law of God is good. And and of the best things of the law, one of the primary purposes of the law is it's so comprehensive that it it should convince any person that you can't keep it. Thou shalt not covet. Well, I've done that perfectly, right? Well, nobody uh, could ever do that perfectly, right? Um, um, I remember one time I said uh, in our church, every um, person in this church has broken every Ten Commandments. And you break them, every one of them, every day. And in our church was somebody who was very righteous. And, you know, so righteous they didn't smile in the 20 years they attended. And, um, and I remember my phone rang as soon as I got home. And they said, do you mind telling me I have, how I've committed adultery against my wife? Not once, but actually every single day. Um, and... I said, I don't mind telling you, you might not like hearing. Um, I said, um, you know, every commandment is, isn't just a negative uh, enjoinder, thou shalt not commit adultery, but it, it, it also binds on you the positive side of that. It's not just don't be unfaithful to your wife, it's actually telling you be totally faithful to your wife. That is, always love her like Christ loved the church. That means always put her first, always think of her first, always die to yourself, always um, serve her above yourself. Consider her the greatest treasure in your life. I said, do you think you do that? Can you tell me that one day of your life you've perfectly kept that commandment? It was very silent. He said, 
Thank you. And the phone hung up. <laughs> um, you see, uh, the law of God is good. It's, it's awesome. It's wonderful. Um, but it's terrible if you're relying on it to reconcile yourself to God. The law of God is good, but not for a means to be reconciled to God. Um, so here's the question. Which family are you um, in? Who's your mother? Are you a son of the slave woman, a child of the slave woman, or are you a child of the free woman? If you're a child of the slave woman, then you're right with God by your own obedience. If you're a child of the free woman, then you're right with God through God's intervention and you had nothing to do with it. Got it? Now, to help with this, Paul uses an allegory. He uses the Old Testament account of Abraham, right? Um, so Paul is, um, you know, the, 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 these false teachers, they're called Judaizers, that would come into Galatia, would be teaching them, we're Jewish, we are the true sons of Abraham. If you want to be a son of Abraham, you have to be Jewish. And Paul's turning this on them. He says, do, well, you do remember Abraham had what? Two sons. Not just Isaac, he had Ishmael too. So essentially saying, yes, you are the sons of Abraham through Ishmael. How popular do you think Paul was um, with these teachers? Um, um, a lot of people asked me last night, um, isn't um, Ishmael where the Arabs came from? Um, and uh, the answer is that's what Islam claims, um, that they are the descendants of Ishmael. Um, the Jews are the descendants of uh, Isaac, but Ishmael was the true promised child of God. It was Ishmael that was brought up onto Mount Moriah to be sacrificed that God saved. That's a claim of Islam, um, that they're the descendants of Ishmael. It doesn't appear to be true biologically or factually, um, as an aside. Um, so here we got it. Abraham and Isaac. What do we learn? How is that an allegory? Well, 4,000 years ago, God appears to a, uh, a 75 year old named Abraham and says, listen, I'm going to make you a great nation. And, uh, and, and uh, I know you haven't had children yet, you and Sarah, but I'm going to do it. And I swear on it. And if you remember, God swore on himself that he himself would be cut in half. He himself, uh, if he didn't keep this vow. And he took Abraham and he said, look at the sands on the seashore. You're going to have that many children. Look at the stars of the sky. You're going to have that many um, children. And of course, Abraham and Sarah had none. And uh, so uh, 11 years later, um, Sarah uh, says to Abraham, you know, it's pretty clear that this plan isn't uh, coming to fruition. Abraham's 86 years old now. There's still no uh, kids. And uh, uh, Sarah's an old woman. And, and so he said, here's the deal. Why don't you go um, uh, and be with Hagar uh, and have a child through Sarah's servant, Hagar, um, and we'll get this thing rolling. Uh, because we've got to take action because clearly nothing's happening and the, the clock's ticking. Now, what the giving of your maidservant to your husband to bear a child when you couldn't bear a child was a cultural practice. It was legal. It was a, a common. Uh, this was not an unusual thing. They're just choosing to say that if we're going to get these promises of God to come to pass, 
we're going to have to get involved here, right? And uh, so that's exactly what happens. And Hagar, uh, through, from Abraham, bears a son called Ishmael. And of course, um, this creates tension with Sarah and Hagar. And uh, Sarah runs off um, Hagar and Ishmael. God and um, Abraham intervene, and she's eventually brought back into the house. And yet, um, another 14 years go by, Ishmael's growing up. He's the only son of uh, Abraham, and there's no child. There's no children. Abraham's 100 years old. Sands of the seashore, give me a break, right? There's no kids. And, uh, and God comes and says, no, a year from now, Sarah's going to have a child. And they what? She what? She laughed. And, I mean, my husband's dead, she said, you know. <laughs> He's all but dead, and, uh, and she's no spring chicken. And um, um, this is, see, the, God likes to make things clear. This is not accomplished accomplishable uh, through human ability, right? That's the whole point. I'm going to bring a child just like he would a couple thousand years later, right? To Mary, who never had sexual relations, right? She's going to bear a child. It's clear that it is a matter of, of divine intervention. God's going to give this child. God's going to build this family. God's going to um, do this. You can see why um, Paul is using it as an allegory. And sure enough, a year later than Isaac is born. Now when Isaac's growing up, he's mocked by Ishmael. And, and, uh, and again, Sarah runs um, Hagar and Ishmael out of the family. Um, so here we have it. There are two ways to relate with God. Like Hagar and Ishmael, that, um, that you are made right with God by human effort. And the other way, Paul says, is, uh, is like Sarah and Isaac, you are made right with God by divine intervention. You got it? That's the point of this passage. Which one are you going to be? Um, again, the false teachers were so proud. They would say we're literally, they were biologically descendants of Abraham. And Paul says, no, actually, Hagar is your mother. Hagar is your mother because you're the people of human ability. Um, you're the ones who rely on the law, human ability to be right with God. So you're a child of Hagar. Um, you know, they tried to kill Paul. Um, Sarah's the spiritual mother of these Greek Gentiles who know they're reconciled of God by what God alone can do. Um, so who are you? Son of the free woman saved by grace alone? Or are you a son of the slave woman depending on your performance? Um, if you're a child of God, it should cause you to wake up every morning and say, what the heck, Right? How in the world am I a beloved of God? How could I, of all people, be the beloved of God? So Richard Dietrich was a, was a youth pastor. Uh, I think he took his youth in, in um, Arizona and um, had a small group of students he took to Poland. Poland was the native country of his wife and they're doing some mission work with some church or Christian organization there. And Richard, while he's there, without his wife, decides that um, this is the area that her family had, had, uh, had come from long ago. Her name was Brenda Promnitz, and they were in Zary, Poland. And, um, uh, you know, 
By the way, somebody will walk out after church and say, oh, I've been to Zary many times. Um, there's a lot of humble brag. Yeah, I've been there. Um, so you know what happens? He goes in and he, and he just wants to do a little like, uh, like uh, family history stuff while he's there so he can um, uh, kind of surprise her with what he learned. And when he goes in there, he said, uh, my wife... Um, you know, was uh, one of the Promnitz uh, family and, and everything got still. And uh, when I first heard this story, I, I thought, you know, he's gonna be, this was some Nazi war criminal or something that he was aligning himself with. Everything got still. And people started listening and then they called over other people and then they called over other people. And then they said, sit down right there and they went away for an hour and then they came back more people. And you know, it was discovered is that um, his wife was the only living heir. They believed that this line, uh, the royal line of Poland had died out many generations before, and she is the only living heir to Polish royalty. They had a palace. They had um, vast hunting lands that had never been um, hunted since prior to World War um, too. They had vast wealth in their um, name. And in fact, Richard is now Count Richard. Um, all of this belonged to them. This is true. This isn't Disney. <laughs> and what did they do to get all that? What did they do to get all that? Nothing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You should know the feeling. That's how you should feel every morning when you wake up and say, I am a child of God by grace and grace alone. All of this was done by others. I have inherited everything that belongs to Jesus because I am in the family of the free woman. With me? You can walk away from that. You can be in the family of the slave woman. I just really don't advise it. Now, what's the implications? That's point two. What are the implications of being in the family of the free woman? It's freedom. It's freedom, right? That's what ver ver first verse of chapter five. For freedom, Christ has set us free. So stand firm, be free. Don't submit to the yoke of slavery. Don't live as a slave under the law. You're free. What are you free from? First of all, free from arrogance. Free from arrogance. Look at, look at what it says. Now you brothers and sisters like Isaac are children of promise. At that time, the son born according to the flesh, who was that? Ishmael persecuted the son born by the power of spirit. Isaac, it's the same now, Paul says. These false teachers are, um, are, are touting their, their arrogance, their their superior um, heritage as Jews. Um, so religious people who think they have God's favor through their obedience will always be threatened by the gospel. They are very touchy and nervous about their standing with God. So one of the things that the gospel does is it frees us from feeling superior to other people, frees us from being arrogant. Religious people have to prop themselves up, think they are good, and one of the ways they do it is by being critical of others. Listen, I know this. I was really good at this. I fight this still. Religious people love to correct, you know. 
When you are a child of the slave woman, you find people you feel superior to and that props up your own righteousness. Don't you know that's why people watch TV news all the time? Because then they can hate the other side. And you choose the news that you listen to on radio or on the TV so it's your side. So that you're constantly hearing about all the unbelievable, awful, wicked things that the other side is conjuring up. And you can turn off the news and, and, and feel all that righteous superiority. Um, this is not true of the children of the free woman. Because the children of the free woman know they're worse than anybody who's walked the earth. They don't have their right to look down their nose on anybody, right? We're saved by grace and grace alone. Unmerited favor. We don't have any merit. How dare we look down our nose at other people? But religious people do it. So, so which family are you in? What marks your conduct? Jesus said two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a tax collector. Boo. Right? And one was a religious leader. Yay! That's like us. You know, the good guys. And uh, Jesus said, the tax collector threw himself on his face and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And the good guy, us, stood there and said, um, God, I thank you that I'm not like him. See, there it is right there, right? How do I feel good about myself? I find somebody who's more rotten than I am. And then I feel good about myself. And it becomes so ingrained that it becomes such a way of life that it affects your marriage, it affects your parenting, it affects the way you deal with people, it affects your deal way with current events, everything. It's arrogance, it's superiority. Um, you know, what do most non-Christians say about the church? You know why I hate the church? Um, we're screwed up and they're screwed up, but they, they only see our screwed upness. They don't see theirs, Right? The children of the free woman are humble. The children of the free woman know what they deserve. They deserve the worst, right? Now, a massive argument broke out this week on, uh, in the social media sphere on coffee in church. Not coffee in the narthex, coffee in the holy of holies, in the sanctuary, Right? And, 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 and so should, because people today, it's more casual and people actually carry coffee into the church. I'm sorry if you're sitting there right now with a coffee in your hand, because yes, we're talking about you. Um, so, um, so this argument broke out and you can imagine it divided along probably lines of age, right? Like everyone 75 and over <laughs> who doesn't bring coffee into church because uh, to be quite honest with you, uh, it's a number of older people that really like to bring coffee everywhere they go with them. But anyway, it divided along age and so the young people, 75 and under, were um, you know, really, um, you know, coffee, it doesn't matter why we're gonna, but the whole point uh, of, of this, this kerfuffle that breaks out about coffee in the church, coffee in the church just shows that we love to find something, Right? People love to find something they do right and other people do wrong. And you can always find it, right? And you can find it right sitting in church. Imagine sitting in church and judging somebody because they got their water bottle, because they got their coffee, because they got whatever. Look at them looking at their phone in church. Right in church we do this, right? 
So, children of the free woman. So I was in a, uh, in a meeting, maybe, maybe 150 people uh, not that long ago, and, and the subject was a pastor in our denomination. This pastor, um, admittedly, he's single, uh, has struggled all his life with uh, same-sex attraction, um, and uh, yet he has, because he's a Christian in obedience to Christ, um, he does not, um, uh, he has uh, never acted on it. Uh, he's never acted uh, in an inappropriate way sexually um, with man or woman. Um, but he acknowledges that, that, that he's broken and that is a part of him. He wishes it wasn't so. It's like a curse. It's, um, um, but he's never acted on it. So in his obedience to Christ, He's running against what would feel natural to him and he won't do it to honor Christ and serve him. Well, so that's the discussion. Should he even be a pastor in our denomination? And, and it just struck me, those 150 people in the room were arguing with veins popping out of their necks. The gays are coming, the gays are coming, you know. And, um, and it struck me how, you know, let's just assume nobody in that room was gay or has same-sex attraction, uh, which is probably true. Nobody was. It just f- struck me as fascinating that, um, that you can get so exercised. Everyone in the room loves to get exercised about sins that they're not guilty of. Why won't they get exercised about the sins they're guilty of? Like self-righteousness, like arrogance, like pride. Um, what about... What about opposite sex attraction that leads you to objectify women or that leads you to um, visit pornography? Studies say that pastors do that very often, right? There were all kinds of subjects we could have presented as sin categories that people all throughout that room were guilty of. But that's no fun. Let's condemn people that aren't there. You get the point? As we absorb the gospel, God sets us free from arrogance. What else are we free from? This is the point. You're free. Don't be arrogant. Don't feel superior. Free from barrenness. You know, even in preaching about that, you know, even in that meeting, I was being superior to all the people because they were all talking about a sin instead of talking about their sin. So I felt better than all of the people in that room. Um, Free from arrogance, free from barrenness. Um, Paul says, um, uh, it is written, and he quotes from Isaiah 51, be glad, barren woman, you who never bore a child, shout for joy and cry aloud, for you are never in labor, because more of the children of the desolate woman than her who has a husband. More of the children of Sarah, of course, is the reference, the one who couldn't um, bear children. It's just a reminder that God loves to use the weak. God loves to use the nobodies. That's who in whom grace works. The strong are too busy relying on themselves. God is saying, I will make those who can't have children, I will make them a multitude. God saves the world through a barren woman. Through Sarah, all the people of the world are blessed. And why do I just bring that up? Listen, you can be sitting here and say, okay, I'm, I'm a child of God by grace and grace alone, but you know, I haven't got many talents. And plus, my life's checkered, and my whole past is a, is a life of disobedience. And I, you know, I'm a mess. I'm an absolute mess. I can't even get my mind, my heart, my behaviors, my family, my children. I want to tell you something. 
you're prime for God. He loves to use messes. He loves to use the broken. He loves to use um, the least. You know little Catherine that's usually on the front row in this service? She might be the one that that God uses more than anybody in his church because that's just what he does. That's just what he does. How about Dean Smith in the back? That's just what uh, God does. Dean's a little distracted because he's a Ravens fan and they're playing right now. Um, (laughs) And there's a German lady in Manhattan um, 90 years ago who taught a Bible study and a couple African, a couple black women were um, converted and they were from Harlem and they said, come teach in Harlem. There's so many um, needy souls. Come teach in Harlem. And so she, she said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move my ministry up to Harlem. There's great interest. In, and uh, her um, fiance said, no, you're not. If you do, our engagement is over. And you know what? Um, she read her Bible and she read this very passage, Isaiah 51. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those who have a husband. She went to Harlem and she, um, um, many, many people responded. So many, in fact, that they formed Bethel Gospel. And you know who I heard that story from? The Bishop of Bethel Gospel 90 years later. That church for 90 years has brought people to Christ because that woman chose to be in the family of the free woman over the family of the slave woman. You got it? Because she knew that she's had more children than she could have ever born herself. You know, there's a woman in our church, her name is Goldie, and she's golden. Um, She ministers to my soul in ways. There's people in church that keep you in ministry a long time. And when you feel your spirits flagging, you you look at them and you say, no, I'm going to go. I'm going to go another mile and then another mile. Goldie, um, I don't know if she's ever had a husband. I don't know if she's ever had children. All I know is she's got tons of children now. Because they meet with her every week up in the office across from my office. And I hear them singing in there on Sunday mornings before church. And sometimes I just press my you know, ear against the wall so I can get something to preach on. Um, Goldie has a powerful life and a powerful ministry. And, um, and many, many, many are her children. If you're weak, you're a failure, you're a nobody, God doesn't work through fertile Hagar's. He works through the barren Sarah's. Uh, I want you to hear that again. And even today you can say, yeah, those are nice stories, but he, he doesn't work through me. Oh, you don't know. Where do you get to glory? You'll find out. And last thing does is freedom for performance. Freedom from performance. If you believe that salvation is dependent on your obedience, then you're a child of the slave woman and you'll always be enslaved to your performance. What pressure. I feel good about myself. I've got I've to perform. It makes all our deeds transactional. Abraham didn't love Hagar. He used her, right? If I need to be worthy of God's favor, to, you know, if I need to be worthy of God's favor, God loves the poor, so I'll share with the poor. But you don't love the poor, you just want God's favor. So you just use the poor to get the favor of God. You see it? It's just transactional. You use people. 
If, if I need to be a good husband and sacrifice my life for my wife and, the, and my kids, then I'll do it because I want to earn the favor of God. Well, then you don't love your wife and your kids. You're just using them to get the favor of God. You got it? It's like those people that show up making a big donation for some charity in their community and there's a picture in the local newspaper and there's a check there that's as big as the space shuttle, right? And they stand out in front of their business with that big check that shows what they donated to the local business, so the local charity. So do they really care about the charity or do they care about what? The photo op, right? Um, they're just using the charity to advance their um, image um, uh, so, you know, you know, the gospel sets us free for performance. Hey, when I was a kid, the, um, the, um, I think of an appropriate way to say this in church, uh, the glamour girl, uh, was named Raquel Welch. So how many of you have never heard of Raquel Welch? You don't even know who she is. All right. I'm not so old. So there she, uh, there she is, and you say, oh, she wasn't the glamour girl, so-and-so was. Well, you're more warped than I am. So um, it was Raquel Welch, and uh, she, by her testimony, you know, by her, her word, she said uh, she tried to fill the emptiness of her soul, uh, being a Hollywood starlet, a sex uh, symbol, and all the money and fame and, and attention that would come from that. And when that didn't work, and that left her empty, she turned to um, um, religion. She became a Buddhist, uh, she did Hinduism, she tried them all, she said. And then about 15, 16 years ago, somebody gave her a book by a theologian named R.C. Sproul and it was on grace and the gospel and she met Jesus. And she's been in a Presbyterian church in America, our denomination in California for the last 15 years till she died this summer and went straight to heaven because she had become a child of the free woman. You got it? We can't fill the emptiness, only God can. So Friday, I got a letter from New Zealand. It was an email from New Zealand, crazy. This guy um, writes, he says, I grew up uh, so legalistic. Um, the message of Christianity was nothing but thou shalt not. I cannot remember ever hearing the gospel in my upbringing. So when I was 12 years old, I rebelled. I became the prodigal, uh, sex, drugs, the whole thing in my childhood. And uh, then lo and behold, when I get to be in college age, my parents have this like religious revival. They become missionaries. And, uh, and so I said, I'm going back to the church uh, and I turned my life around and went back to church. The problem was I wasn't the prodigal who runs home and experiences the kiss of the Father in grace. I went straight out to the field and became the older brother. I went straight out and said, with the kind of life I've lived, I've got a lot of making up to do. And I went to work for God. And, uh, and, and I heaped duty and responsibility and effort on myself. And uh, I went to seminary and I became a pastor. And my sermons were riddled with legalism and law. And uh, do it and it's up to you. And uh, he said, I, I could have been the hunchback of Notre Dame. I had so much weight that I was having to carry. Um, and... Uh, he said, then um, uh, I, I met this uh, uh, guy and, and he told me there's a seminary in America named Covenant Seminary and they've got tapes there that you can listen to. And he said, uh, I, I found this um, a series where a, a guy was teaching on preaching 
And uh, I said, I could benefit from that. And he said, I'm driving to a church. It's two hours away. I'm the guest preacher that Sunday. And I put those tape, the tape in my car to listen to it on the way. And the pastor uh, teaching says, um, you know, you can uh, be a Christian, you can be a pastor, and you can totally not get it. He said um, that, um, he said the hardest thing in ministry, the hardest thing for any pastor in ministry is to get the gospel himself. It's not to get other people to get it, it's to get it actually himself. And then he explained what that looked like. And this guy said, before I got to the church where I was preaching, I pulled off and I was sobbing my eyes out because I realized I had totally missed it. And he said, essentially, I became a child of the free woman, instantly. And that day, my life changed. My marriage changed, my preaching changed, my parenting changed. I experienced uh, the grace of God um, who did it all um, for me. He said, for the first time that, that Sunday, I preached without fear. He said, I realized that I could preach the worst sermon of my life and my father would still smile on me because of the Lord Jesus and his perfect righteousness. I can't adequately express the change this has made in my life. He said, there is now a wife and four children who live under the influence of the gospel rather than the tyrant lawgiver who had been the leader of their home. There's now a pastor who preaches and ministers the gospel rather than legalism. And most of all, there is now a son who lives with the smile of his father upon him. I got this Friday afternoon after writing this sermon. It was like God was saying, your sermon's not that good. Let me help, you know. It changes everything. It changes everything to realize that you're a child of God by grace and grace alone. You could have gone to church all your life and be a a child of the slave woman. Let your heart melt under the grace of God. Listen to Paul when he says to the Galatians, For freedom, Christ has set you free. So be free. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.